We've, uh, we've begun a new uh, series. What is it called? Kingdom Prep Academy. Yeah. Pumped about this. Um, last week, we kind of talked about, is change possible? And the, the way the scriptures are pretty, pretty pessimistic about change. But, but there is hope that for those who have Christ, that those who have the Spirit, that transformation, genuine transformation is possible. Like transformation, radical transformation, transformation that's miraculous. Like going from a person who is just bound up in what? Well, today we're going to talk about hate and anger to a person who's not bound up that way. A person who's, who's a peaceful person. Uh, a radical personality change. That's all possible. The question is how? And last week we, we saw that it has to, be, it has to come from the Spirit. And it has to be uh, embodied or enfleshed or made real in, in practices, little simple things that we do in a community of, of accountability. And so we're entering into a series where we're going to be talking about the Kingdom Prep Academy. Right now, get ready for heaven. This is going to get you ready for heaven and, and ready to flourish now. Okay, just like going to prep school is getting ready for college and hopefully enjoying your life there, this is getting ready for heaven and flourishing now. With that, I would like to uh, ask you, what do you do? What do do you think is the right call when uh, you've had some major conflict with somebody? uh, There's been some some major division. Uh, There's there's, there's, anger between the two of you. Something something has come up and it's it's divided two people. What's the right thing to do? This happens all the time at work. Uh, at work, um, you're in a place where you know everyone's trying to work together towards the same goal, but different people do it different ways. And sometimes, through no, really, not anyone's fault, but two people have different opinions about how it's supposed to go, and they start clashing. They get at loggerheads, right? What is the right thing to do in that situation? Well, for most of us, uh, the right thing to do is to, uh, and I love this phrase, let sleeping dogs lie. Right? If there's no outright animosity, if there's no, like, if no one's flipping out and, and going crazy, let's just ignore it, let's pass over it, let's move on, because if we do get involved with this, there, there's danger. Things could go really badly. So is, is that right? I mean, that, that's the question uh, today. How, how should we approach, should, is that right? Is it really, is letting sleeping dogs lie really the way that we're called to live? And if not, how should we live? As we journey through the text together, let's let that um, sit in the back of our minds. Let's read. This is uh, the first teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, you will not murder. And anyone who has committed murder is likely to be judged. But I say to you that the one who is always angry with his brother is likely to be judged. And the one who has said to his brother, you idiot! is likely to end up before the governing council. And the one who has said, you fool, is liable to end up in fiery Gehenna. So then if you bring your gift to the altar, and right there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Leave it there, right in front of the altar, and go. Take off. First, make things right with your brother, then come back and offer your gift. Quickly settle things with your opponent while you're on the way to court with him. Or what happens? Your accuser might hand you over to the judge, and the judge might hand you to the bailiff, and then you'll be thrown in prison. And I'm telling you the truth, you won't get out of there until you've paid the last penny. For a long time, uh, when I was reading the Sermon on the Mount as a, as a younger man, um, 
And as a kid, I, I just assumed that really what the Sermon on the Mount was is it was Jesus taking like old teachings of the Old Testament and then making them even more difficult to follow, right? So he'd say, you know, Old Testament says do not murder. Hopefully no one here is a murderer, uh, and so we should all feel good about ourselves, right? Well, then Jesus takes it to the next level. He's like, oh, no, oh, no, not just don't murder, but also don't ever tell anyone they're an idiot. Don't ever say you're a fool. Don't be angry with people. If you're even angry with people, then, then that's a sin. And, and the idea then is that, is that the Sermon on the Mount is just an, a, a way of Jesus getting us to a place where we're like, you know what? I can't do any of this, and I've got to rely on Jesus' grace, Right? And that's how I always read the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that's a good way to read it. I think it's legitimate. But I think there's also something that we can actually take home with us. I think if we're really paying attention to the text and we really kind of engage it, we can see that God is actually giving teaching, transformational teaching, stuff that can change our lives forever. And in order to demonstrate that, I want to uh, take this text, but I want to go backwards. So I want to start with this, this, this last part, and I want to kind of pull it out a little bit, uh, show exactly what, what it means, and then we'll move back to the point where, to the point where we, we get to the spot where we say, I, I see it, this is how God wants us to live. Here's some specific things we can begin doing as a community that is going to radically change our hearts. And so that is the answer to the question, what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Let's do it. Quickly settle things with your opponent while you are on the way to court with him. Who here has been sued? <laughs> all, all the business people. Jack's been sued like 30 times. Glenn, 45 times. Yeah, good, guys. That's great. Well, that's not really your fault. Anytime you uh, work in business in America these days, lawsuits are going left and right. I have a buddy who's a lawyer. Anybody been involved in like one of those personal suits? Like, I don't know, where someone's after your, your personal... Excellent. And Jack again. Awesome. <laughs> Jack, this might be uh, some really important teaching for you. Just heads up, man. <laughs> um, well, I, I've, only been, I've only been close to lawsuits a few times. But one of the things that's, that's always the case is that when uh, someone is either trying to sue me or I'm thinking about suing someone, it's because uh, something, in my opinion, has gone deeply wrong and there's been injustice. Right? And there's been some, like, like it, we once were leaving a condo, and uh, the, the management company was like, oh, you don't get your safety deposit back. And we were like, we improved this place. You give us that 1300 bucks, you jerks, right? And they were like, no way. So I called, and I was just fuming. I was like, are you serious? I have the pictures to prove it. I did all of that. I can show you. No, that, that, that stain was there long before we got here. And it was some dog vomit from years and years ago, and it's not our fault. And you guys, you, you can't hold us accountable for that. I have the pictures to prove it. I was mad. Jesus says, settle things with your opponent while you're on the way to court. You're both walking, uh, you see that person walking in, you're, and, you, and, and Jesus is like, go jump in there and, and try to get things handled. And, you know, we, we have this in, you know, settlements now in, in, in American uh, law where you can, you can get out of the, the judge stuff by agreeing both terms, both parties agree, this is satisfactory, this is fine, and we don't have to go any further. Jesus says do that. Why? Because there's a potential, a potential for something really bad to happen if you don't. Your accuser might, might 
hands you over to the judge. In the, in the Greek there, there it's, a, it's called a subjunctive. It's like, this is a possible outcome. It's not guaranteed, may not even be likely, but it's a possible outcome. Might hand you over to the judge, and the judge might then just throw you to the bailiff, and then you get thrown in prison, and I'm telling you, you're not getting out of there until you've spent and paid back every last penny. Which is especially bad in the ancient world, because um, if you were in prison... They would seize your assets to pay your debts, but you're in prison, so you can't get out of prison to go work to make more money to pay off your debts, which is a really, really bad way to rehabilitate criminals. It's a great way to keep people in jail forever, because what ends up happening is you're sitting there, and your assets aren't enough to cover it, so suddenly your family's out on the street. You're calling in every favor you can. You're begging people that know you to come, and you're humiliating yourself, prostrating yourself before them, saying, please, give me the money to get this debt, and I, I promise as soon as I get out, I'll pay it back, but I need this. I'm desperate. Let's say that happens. How do you think you'd feel if and when you finally got out of prison? You're thinking about that person that was accusing you. Is it, is it sunshine and rainbows? You're like, oh, I'm so glad that happened to me. You were right, friend. Th- thanks for, thanks for uh, ruining my life and taking everything, everything away that I have. I'm, I'm, I'm truly grateful. Or, or do you think that while you're in prison and while this is happening to you, you might start, I don't know, obsessing about how nasty this person is, how unfair the situation is, how evil that person was to put you in this place. You're sitting there, you're stewing, and it's dark, prison in the ancient world, not fun. You're sitting there, and there's creepy crawlies, and you're starving, and, and what are you really doing? What's actually happening is that anger and bitterness are beginning to take deep root in you. And you start getting more and more angry, more and more filled with rage and a desire for vengeance than ever you had before you got there. Now, maybe that's what happens, maybe not, but, but you could see that as a, a very likely outcome if you don't settle things first. Let's go back up to the, the, the first example that Jesus gives. It says, so then, if you bring your gift to the altar, and you remember there that your brother has something against you, leave your gift right there in front of the altar. Go. First, make things right with your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. Seems reasonable. It's like for us, you know, on Sunday, if we're going to go to church, probably anyone here spend more than 20 minutes getting here? Nope, see, okay, very short. Doug spent more than 20 minutes to get here. Well, how long did it take you, man? 25! Okay, you're right. Anyone more than half an hour? Okay, St. Saint Doug and Jen, they, they really suffered for it. But it, church is convenient, right? I mean, it's really not that big a deal for us to get here. You know, and if you're going to give an, an offering in the ancient world on the altar, that can only happen at one place, the temple, which is located in one place, Jerusalem, which is where a very small minority of actual Jewish believers live. Most Jews live all over the empire. They live, uh, if, even if they're, if they're even in Israel, they live in the far north or the far south. Like, the, they, they may, it may be days' journey. They may get to the temple once maybe twice a year, for some, especially those in what's called uh, the diaspora, that's like the, the spreading out or the exile of the Jews, some who are living in Egypt or in Rome, they may see the temple once in their lifetime. 
And so here's this person, Jesus, Jesus is giving this teaching, and, and imagine you're a person, you've, uh, you've spent a week-long journey to, to get down to uh, the temple, and as a result of that, like, this experience of, of actually making a, a sacrificial offering at the temple, it's, a, it's, it's life-altering, it's, it's as, as deep a, a spiritual worship experience as you can imagine. It's, you're surrounded by the grandeur, the, the gold, and, and the incense, and all the rituals, and it's like you're, you're elevated to this moment of incredible spiritual excellence, and and you have scrimped and, and saved. It was expensive to sacrifice. And you put it all there. And you're going to give a gift to God on the altar. And what pops in your head? Man, Billy's mad at me. Notice it says, um, your brother has something against you. Not necessarily you did anything wrong. It might just be that uh, he thinks you did or, or whatever. But, but as you're about to experience the worship of God, the thing that pops into your head is... Billy's mad at me. There's something wrong between me and Billy. That must be something that's really, really wrong. Because this is maybe a once-in-a-lifetime, at least just you know, annual experience that you get to have. And it's being ruined. It's being intercepted, interceded by this thought about Billy. That means that there's something really deep. Your conscience, something in you is really trying to say, hey, we got we to gotta fix something here. And so when Jesus says, make things right with your brother and then come back, he's saying, that's a big thing to ask. That is a really big deal, an expensive deal, a time-sucking deal. It must be that having something deeply between us is so important. Fixing that is so important that we've, we've got to take care of it. And the question is, why? Uh, the first thing in your note sheets is this. If we don't reconcile when we have the chance, we're setting ourselves up for long-term bitterness and rage. If you don't fix it with Billy now, and you go through the process of worship and living your life, you're probably just going to let it sit. If you, uh, if you don't settle before you get to court, things are going to get really litigious, really bad, and they're going to get expensive and possibly damage your life. And what's going to happen is you're setting yourself up to be in a position where bitterness and rage creep in, or in, in Billy's case, creep into Billy's heart, and they just fester. And, and what Jesus is saying is he's saying, when you have the shot, take it. Because if you don't, things could go very badly. I'd like to uh, take the next uh, step in the scriptures, just moving back a little bit, um, starting with verse 22. I say to you, the one who is always angry with his brother is likely to be judged. Just an issue on the translation there. Um, in the Greek, uh, the angry person is a participle. It's like the one uh, who is angry. And what's interesting about it is it's the only verb um, in this section that's in the present tense. Um, and that's weird because uh, when you're reading it, you're seeing a lot of um, past and future tense, and then bam, there's this present tense. It kind of pops out at you. And that's because um, Ma Matthew and is translating uh, the Aramaic from Jesus, but he's using it to give us a, a, something to understand about the Greek. The Greek present tense can mean something like persistently or continually or always. And so it's not just someone who's angry. It's someone who's constantly angry. Uh, when, you're, when you're reading it, it like, woof, it's like, if you are a person who is angry, who's, who's being always angry, it kind of feels like, well, then you're the kind of person who's likely to be judged. Uh, likely, um, that word can, it really means something like deserves, or um, you're the kind of person who uh, you, you're subject to, or it's, it's, it's uh, 
you're liable to, something like that, I'd say it's likely for you to be judged. If you go and, and, the, and the tribal council, you know, kind of, they see that you're the sort of person that does this, it's very likely for you to end up being chastised by them. This is because the ancient world doesn't make a strong distinction between what's in your heart and how you act. If you're the kind of person who's angry all the time, you're going to be the kind of person who ends up in situations where you need to be judged. Judge there probably means in your village, you know, there's some, it's like elders, maybe elders in the church kind of thing, where you've been naughty, you've had bad behavior, and the elders, they come, and they, they've got to, 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 to correct you. You're that kind of person. The one who said to his brother, idiot, is likely to end up before the Sanhedrin, or governing council. Uh, really, idiot there is, it's actually the word from which we get our word moron. Um, and it feels uh, in the ancient world, and I excuse uh, the, the language, but like, you stupid retard. I hope that hurts when you hear that, because that's kind of how it felt in the ancient world. Um, it, it's, it's very degrading. It's a, it's a de- derogatory term for someone who may not have the same cognitive ability as others. It's a vicious term. If you're the kind of person who comes, goes around being, you idiot! To your brother, you're probably the kind of person who's got enough rage and enough anger in you that you're going to end up being judged by the law. The, the, the people in charge of, of the law, in our case the police and the courts in the ancient world in, in, um, in uh, Israel, the governing council. The one who has said, you fool, is li- liable to end up in fiery Gehenna. Again, fool is an even more derogatory term. And uh, it probably doesn't translate into English without words that I can't use. Uh, but be confident that it's very naughty. And if you're the kind of person who is screaming that all the time, you're probably the kind of person who deserves to end up in fiery Gehenna. I've left it, most translations will say fiery hell or the fires of hell. Um, it, I'm going to leave it for another time, but Gehenna may not necessarily mean hell. In fact, uh, that's a, whatever it is, it's a place for naughty people uh, to, to get hurt. All right? And that's all we need to know today. Um, that's where you, you deserve to end up there. You're liable to end up there. doesn't mean you're going to go there, but it means that's what you deserve. That's the kind of person. You're wicked. You're naughty. You see that the feel of this text is it's not like Jesus is coming up with like these more and more uh, crazy things that people do. What he's describing is what happens to people when they are in anger all the time. When you are rageful. When, is that a word? When you have a lot of rage. When you are vengeful. When you are scheming and bubbling and holding the grudge and festering and and thinking about the wrongs, when that happens, you're the kind of person who's liable to blow up. And you're the kind of person who's liable to end up being uh, judged by the elders in your church or by the law courts or you deserve a fiery, nasty end because you're the kind of person that's filled that way. And that's the next thing in your note sheets. The person who carries anger, who carries it, it's always there. It's just sitting in the background. Uh, It's just a a, a hot burn all the time. That person's likely, it's very common for that kind of person to end up judged, jailed, executed. That's the path you're on. And now let's look at that, that first verse again. 
you, was, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago. This is uh, in, it's a teaching of the, of the Ten Commandments. We have it in Exodus and in uh, Numbers, I think, maybe Deuteronomy, um, where they're listed out in both cases. You, you will not murder. Is, is a, it's, it's big. It's a big, important thing. And the idea of the Ten Commandments was God was saying, this is how you ought to live together. This is what life together looks like. And one of the things that life together doesn't look like is you killing each other. Where does murder come from? Do a lot of people wake up, I mean, I guess there are, according to like a lot of movies that are out there about psychopaths and stuff, I guess some people just enjoy it. But for the most part, for you and for me, if you ever got to the point of murdering someone, it would have been because you'd been engaged in hate and vengeance in your heart for a very long time. When God says, you shall not murder. What he's saying is you shall not be a hateful people. Because if you stop being a hateful people, people who are angry all the time, you won't have to worry about murder. That next thing on your note sheets, the source of murder is rage and vengefulness. Jesus is calling people to acts of reconciliation that cut down violence and division before they can take root. The point of all of this is is not to give you a whole bunch of things that you can't do. Everyone's angry at times. That's impossible not to be angry. In fact, there's a lot of places in the New Testament where it says anger is fine, like as long as it's righteous. Anger is a normal, constant part of being human. It's okay. When people make you mad, it's not wrong for you to be mad. But that's not where murder comes from. Murder comes from nursing it. Murder comes from holding on to it. I have a picture here. This is my favorite scene in every movie. You've seen this scene. You've got you to wonder, the people who are coming up with bombs, like, why do they keep using clocks? Where do they even get those? Like, you see at the bottom there, it's like, tick, 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 tick. And, I mean, you know, it's like, or it's a digital clock, whatever. And there's always this, you know, the hero is sitting there sweating bullets. Is it the red wire? Is it the white wire? I don't know. It's very tense. Actually, that never happens, or at least almost never. Uh, what actually happens is something like this. This is my buddy, Era. Um, Era uh, is a friend from school. He um, was lieutenant in the United States Army. Served in Iraq. He was a part of a, um, he calls it, I, I, look, I know that a lot of you have military experience, and you're waiting for me to screw up and say something that's not true. Yes, I don't have any, I, didn't, I don't watch the History Channel, like, forgive me, but I did talk to him about this, so I think this is all accurate, and if it's not, I know you'll let me know after the service. Thank you, that's my... Uh-huh. Era was part of a platoon that did route clearance. Um, basically, uh, he, wherever he was in Iraq, I, I don't know, uh, they had uh, patrols that would go out, and they'd have missions that had to go out. In order to, to do those missions, they had these streets um, that, that had to be kept clear of any danger, any enemies, anything like that. Um, and, and so what Aaron's platoon did is they would over and over, they would just go down these streets and just check to see if anything was there, looking for IEDs, improvised explosive devices. Uh, side note, um, the Bacon family, one of... Uh, um, our, our friend Michael, who uh, grew up in this church, he's uh, in seminary right now, but a friend of his uh, was recently injured by an IED uh, in, uh, I think, Afghanistan. And um, 
I, I found out that uh, he's doing a lot better. And uh, actually, President Trump gave him the, the Purple Heart, like literally. And then Mike, uh, Mike Pence uh, visited him too, which is pretty cool. So continue to pray for uh, Victor's recovery. But that's what happens when IEDs go wrong, is there are these little devices that, that um, jihadis or whomever put together, and they're designed to sit there and wait, and as soon as like the convoy or the platoon or whomever comes by, it blows up. And it's designed to hurt and maim. And in order to prevent that from happening, Era and his platoon would go down these streets, and if they saw something that looked bad, they would immediately take their helmets off and run over and be like, you think it's the red wire? Do you think it's the red wire? No. That's not what they do. This is what they do. <laughs> Controlled detonation. It's cool stuff. Eric can't hear anymore. He's basically deaf. Uh, that's not true, but he did have some hearing loss. Um, you can't do that job without, um, yeah. He, uh, but what he told me all the crazy things they'll do. Like sometimes they'll put like another charge on top of the IED and it'll explode downward to like, keep it from uh, doing too much damage. Sometimes that, the truck that you saw, they pull, I, I think it's that truck, will literally just go over the, the, the device because it has a bunch of armor underneath and they'll just set it off and then the truck will absorb the impact and, and, and make the, the, the road safe. Really a crazy job. Um, I used to think I was more of a man than era, but that's definitely not the case. Uh, he's definitely winning in that um, particular contest. Anyway, uh, if you think about um, rage, think about anger, it's, it's a lot like an IED. It's, it's sitting there and it's quiet, right? And, it, and, and it's just kind of ticking. And it's just waiting. And then when the right or perhaps wrong person passes by, They're like Victor. They're maimed. They're dead. It kills. And if you think about what Jesus is, is suggesting, he's saying, he's saying, here's an idea. Why don't we have a whole bunch of people who start living as root clearance platoons? Who start living as the people who go and they check the, the ways and they see where there might be a problem while it still hasn't hurt anyone. And then let's go and then let's, let's blow that bomb up in a controlled environment. So it is going to be bad. Don't get me wrong. Anytime you try to make peace, anytime you try to reconcile with someone, it's going to be rough. It will not be easy. There will be an explosion. But man, a much better explosion like that in a controlled environment where you have an opportunity to, to take care of it and no one gets hurt. Better that than waiting for what happens if you don't deal with it. You're playing with fire if you don't. Jesus is saying, what kind of people I want are reconcilers. These are going to be the kinds of people who are going to be ready for my kingdom and who are going to flourish now. And it's not going to be easy. A couple of thoughts on reconciliation before we, we end. We call it before anyone gets really hurt. Going into a situation that's not great, that's dangerous, and diffusing it the first thing you need to understand is that this is for Christians because it's a miracle. If you have ever been truly in hatred or rage or anger against someone else, or they with you, 
then you know that the chances of you reconciling with them are extremely low. It's almost impossible when hate has taken root. And if it does happen, it is only going to be because of the grace of God, because you've prayed beforehand, because God's spirit is in the midst of that conversation or that confrontation, because God is empowering it. It has to be grace that makes it happen. I mean, think about what it takes to turn your heart when you've been at that place where you've really hurt. To, to make that heart turn, man, that's, that's God doing it, not you. The second thing, and kind of tied to that, is that it's really, really hard. Human beings are basically conflict-averse. Uh, for the most part, there are some of us, you know, the alpha males who just love to have fights. I'm not one of those, but uh, we've got a few in this congregation. They're great. Love them. They never censor what they say to me. They just, you're terrible. Like, oh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You people don't have to worry about this too much because you like <laughs> You like fighting. The rest of us, normal human beings, uh, who don't have an excess of testosterone powering our, um, our bodies, we actually are pretty averse to conflict. We want to avoid it as much as possible. And that's because not only do we want to make things worse, we know how bad things could be. It's just easier to, like, shove it under the rug. Easier just to never have to deal with that person, Right? Like, oh, that person's there. We'll just act like we're not there together. Much more difficult, by the way, in the ancient world where people lived in small villages and they were organized by their family. I mean, for those of you who've had situations like this or, or are in situations like this with your family, you know how hard it is to let sleeping dogs lie because you're constantly, you're constantly, you know, there with them. But that's our, our, our natural um, in, sort of way of approaching. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want you to be people who are not only are not afraid, but who are actively engaged in conflict. I want you to love or begin to love conflict. I want you to be willing to step into a situation of conflict with a desire for reconciliation and peace. That will make you different than almost everybody else. People will look at you and marvel. They'll be like, are you serious? You know, the alphas, they go in there to, like, beat the other person down. You're going to go in there with the, with the, the, the idea that you're going to make things right, whatever it takes. That's going to be hard. The next thing is that um, this is key, though, to flourishing. You have to transform from a conflict-averse, anger-ridden person into somebody who engages regularly in the practice of reconciliation. And if you do, you will be able to let go of the grudges, you will be able to let go of the way that it forces you to act. You'll be able to say, I'm not the one who's causing this problem anymore. I can be free of that, that burden. And, and what's most important is that you're going to be free of the kinds of things that anger and rage will make you do to others. One of the, awesome, one of the most awful things about anger and rage is that the cause of the rage may be something way over here. And then when you blow up, you actually injure or hurt somebody that has nothing to do with the cause of your rage just because you let it fester. You know, when they let that IED, when they set that in the street, they don't know who's going to get blown up. They hope it's the Americans, but it might be their own family. Last thing. Reconcilers are ready for heavenly life. This is a little bit speculative. I hope you'll forgive me. But all of our indications from Scripture is that 
you know, the next life, and I say this frequently, and hear me because it's important. The next, in, the, in the next life, you will not be, like, owning your own unicorn, riding on rainbows, like, in space, okay? I, I don't know what you think heaven is like, but it's not that. In fact, all of our uh, indications from the scriptures about what the next life is like is it's actually not that different from this one. It's like this one, but glorified. It's this one, but perfected. There will be things, probably, something analogous to an economy or work and projects. There, w- there may even be things like frustration. Uh, like, imagine if you're an artist in heaven and you're trying to do a sculpture and you're You've been tasked with some other person to help you, and you guys have different visions. That might be something that's a part of the heavenly life. The heavenly life is not, um, it, 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 it's real, <laughs> is the point. It's, it's, it's a real life. It's an embodied life, and it's a life that's perfect, and it's, and it's made right, and it's glorified, but it's still life. And as a result, the kinds of people that are going to be ready to rock in heaven, the kinds of people who will be ready to take ownership and leadership, and the ones who will be respect are going to be the ones who've already been practicing in this life the kinds of things you need to be in heaven. And one of those things is reconciliation. It's going to be the, uh, the, the, this innate desire in every situation to diffuse it, to make things right before they get bad, to go in there and make sure that every person is constantly in a state of peace and, and, and flourishing. If that's what everyone acts like in heaven, then there won't be any conflict because we'll be all going out of our way to confront and to change and to reconcile. Now, whether or not you buy that vision of heaven, at the very least, you can buy that vision of the church and of your life outside of the church. Where we are focused so much on making sure that things are right between us and everyone else that we're willing to go through the arduous task of confrontation and conflict in the name of a higher love empowered by God's grace in service of redemption. So who here has an enemy? Don't raise your hands. Who here has somebody, family, work, uh, play, friend, from the past, and you're just letting sleeping dogs lie because you're sure. You're sure you're not going to run into them. Or if you do, you can ignore them. If you don't defuse that bomb, You never know when it's going to blow up. And even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't blow up, you're still not practicing the kind of person that Jesus wants you to be, that you were created to be. A person who's at peace. You're going to be doing it forever in heaven. This week, start practicing. Give them a call. Set something up. Sit down. I know, you're partially responsible, they're partially responsible, it's never just one or the other. Everyone's got to own something. If I thought that this was, you know, fun and games and it was super easy, I'd tell you the stories of when I've done this, but I never have. Because are you kidding me? It's, it's impossible. I don't want to do that. So I'm, you know, I'm preaching to me too here. But it's true. This is your heavenly life. And it can start right now, this week, if you find and practice a chance to reconcile with an enemy. Stakes are high. 
But God's grace is there, and I do believe that he will make peace. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray uh, that you will take the seeds of bitterness and rage um, out of our hearts, that you will place them uh, in places of, of conflict, places of uh, reconciliation, that we will not be afraid to speak truth to each other, we will not be afraid to admit fault, that instead we will become reconcilers, flourishing free now and ready for kingdom life in the future. God, I ask the gift of reconciliation uh, between people for this congregation now. That you'll be in it. That your spirit will move mightily. And that we'll be a little bit more like you. In the name of your son we pray, amen.